Kia This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Wellington Access Radio, make your voice heard. Kia ora Wellington and welcome to B-Side Stories on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM. Yeah, we're on FM now. Yes, no longer on AM at all. Yeah. <laughs> the, the prime time. You're here with uh, Henry Peach and... Perrine Gilkerson. Welcome along. Yeah. How's your, how's your, how's your Tuesday going, Perrine? <laughs> um, I'm pretty pleased to be here because it meant I got to leave work early, but... Um, um, yeah, not too much but is going on. It's pretty I, cool. The, it's quite good to leave work at 4.30, I think. Yeah, it's like, a good time. It starts to slope off at about 3 o'clock anyway. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, no, good, 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 good. Excited to be here. I haven't been on B-Sides for ages, um, so it's nice to be back. Cool, and we have a really good interview lined up for today, and that is a demand. <laughs> No, um, so (laughs) that is the voice of Bronwyn Wall, or Bronnie, as we will probably be calling her, and she is here with Jonathan Kennett. Hi, Hi. everyone. Hi. All right, so we are here to talk about Project Ramika. Tell us about it. Project Ramika is a lovely piece of revegetating farmland down in Golden Bay, in East Tarkaka on the hillsides, steep hillsides, that Jonathan and I had the uh, weird idea to purchase in 2008 um, and change from marginal farmland into forest over generations, probably. And what? why did you do that? <laughs> why did we do that? We did that as a... As a response to climate change. So in, I think, 2007, Jonathan, Mm. um, Al Gore put out a movie in the States called An Inconvenient Truth. Is that what it was called? Something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I never never watched it. Yeah, I never watched it either, actually. Here's the inconvenient (laughs) truth that neither of us actually watched it, but we heard a lot about it, and it got us more and more aware of what was happening around the world to our climate and at the same time this very funny coincidence happened and we discovered that a lot of people were losing a lot of their savings from uh, investment companies going under. It's part of the global financial crisis. And so we decided that we didn't want to have our savings in, a, in an investment company that was going to go under. And we could possibly buy a piece of land and revegetate it and kill two birds with one stone, save the planet and not help these investment companies. So uh, we kind of wondered whether we could do this, and it turned out we could. So we did. We we actually um, hunted around for a suitable piece of land um, so the land is down, I can't remember if we've covered this, down in Takaka, near Takaka. Go- or near Takaka in Golden Bay? Yep, 10 kilometres from Takaka Township. It's about halfway sort of between Takaka Township and Abel Tasman National Park. And we're, and we're living in Wellington, so one of the things we nutted out early on was that it would kind of defeat the purpose if we bought a piece of land that was hundreds of kilometres away from us and we had to fly to it because the whole point was to try and not put pollution pollutants into the atmosphere and air and that would be really daft for us to buy a piece of land that we then had to travel 
um, via polluting fossil fuel. By air, right? By on the plane. Yeah, yeah. on the plane, <laughs> any kind of thing like that. So we yeah. kind of draw a circle from Wellington um, to an area that we could access by bicycle or by car or public transport options and or something that was within our within an easy distance of Wellington to get to. And uh, Golden Bay happened to fit that. We were pretty lucky too, though, because um, uh, at the time we were looking for, for a, a good piece of land for a forest carbon sink, so something that would absorb or sequester a lot of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and would fit the government's permanent forest sink initiative scheme, which was a scheme to... Um, encourage landowners to essentially put a covenant over their land and uh, in return for that the government would give them carbon credits for the amount of CO2 sequestered because you know, just science 101 um, as part of the process of photosynthesis carbon dioxide is, is sucked out of the atmosphere by, by all plants that grow but trees in particular um, lock up the carbon. They actually split the carbon dioxide into carbon and oxygen. They hold the carbon in the trunks of the tree, the woody matter, and release the oxygen back out into the atmosphere. So that's why a lot of people call it call forests sort of the lungs of the planet. And, ca- and carbon dioxide is obviously the climate damaging pollution that's that comes the, out of planes and cars and burning. Burning any fossil fuel yeah. releases carbon dioxide, and there are a number of major greenhouse gases. Including so methane. Methane's a big one in New Zealand. Um, that's the one that's been really growing in the last two decades. And that's from farms. And so we were double hitting <laughs> there by taking a piece of farmland out of action and putting it into trees. Yeah, that's actually... Oh, so just that you've raised a couple of points actually there, Ronnie. One is that um, the government had been providing subsidies to farmers from the late 1960s through to the mid-1980s to effectively break in marginal farmland, um, so land that, that farmers hadn't bothered to to clear of forest because it wasn't really economical. So the government came along and decided that they would actually provide um, loans to farmers. It's called the Land Development Encouragement um, Scheme, and um, farmers took big advantage of it, including the ones that, that we bought the, um, the uh, Rameka land off um, they'd cleared the land in the 1970s, late 1970s, by burning it, um, and then found that it wasn't actually very good farmland, and so that was one of the pieces of land that they were willing to sell off cheap to whoever was interested. And the reason we became interested in that piece of land was, one, it was close enough to Wellington to be able to, to bike to or, or ferry and bus to, but also... Um, a friend of ours owns the bike shop in, in Golden Bay, a quiet revolution bike shop, and he knew that we were looking for a piece of uh, land as a response to climate change, and he kept on faxing through real estate agent <laughs> advertisements from Golden Bay because he really wanted us to buy a piece of land close to where he lived. Um, and we were pretty fortuitous because 11 weeks after we actually purchased the land, Bronnie gave me a, a phone call. You might recall that, Bronnie. Yeah, I told him to sit down because we had delayed the purchase date of our land so that one of my investments could mature and then I would get the whole investment. And 11 weeks after we purchased the land, the investment company that I'd used went under. 
Oh. And so it was kind of like all our friends were going, you made it go under by taking out your investment. <laughs> so you, you got out 11 days early. 11 like, weeks. 11 we got out 11 weeks. weeks before it went under. Oh. You yeah. must have been r- flying pretty high there, Ronnie. <laughs> I was a little bit weak-kneed, actually. At that time. <laughs> I was thinking, this doesn't happen to me. <laughs> it, it made me feel really, really sorry for all the people who had lost money in the global financial crisis through no fault of their own Mm. Um, because, you know, that was really hard-earned money. And I know that if we'd lost it, I would have felt, you know, bitter and twisted for a long time. (laughs) It killed Matthew Cuthbert and Anne of Green Gables. That must have been been our incentive for In the back of my mind, I was thinking, let's not go there. (laughs) But uh, so we ended up with 48 hectares of land and it's kind of, I've never wanted to be a land baron. So it was kind of a little bit of a, an overwhelming prospect to own 48 hectares of land. So we decided that we wouldn't. And we opened it out to close friends and said, hey, uh, we need some help with this. This is a bit too big for us. And we set up a trust. And it kind of validated what we were feeling in that our friends all came on board. And after that... Quite so, funnily enough, yeah. Oh, how did they come on board initially? Um, they came, well, a couple of good friends, uh, Andrew and Joe McClellan McKenzie, um, paid for a hut to be built on the land because the land was and is primarily just bare land with trees. And if we wanted to go down and work with those trees and work with people planting more trees, we needed some form of accommodation. So Andrew and Joe paid for a hut and other people helped pay for rates and things, and yep. then a couple of people joined us as trustees so that we it wasn't just Jonathan and I. And then a neighbouring block of land came up for sale, and we thought, I wonder if it's possible to extend the, the whole concept to more people. So we... Um, Put it out to a wider group of friends, and, and this was just two thousand end of two thousand fifteen. Two thousand fifteen, right. yeah. yeah. We did a crowdfunding campaign, which... and we didn't really know what we were doing, but we put it out to friends on Facebook and via email, and that initial prod was enough for people to come up with about two hundred. 250,000 was how much we raised all up, is that what you're thinking? No, I was thinking the initial thing that said, oh yeah, okay, we could we can actually do this was about 100,000. And we thought, wow, okay, we don't know what we're doing with this crowdfunding and we've managed to get 100,000. So maybe we should go for this. And so we then started really letting people know via Facebook and and more emails and got got the amount to buy the land. So what did you think you were doing with the first 100,000? Uh, well, They were just pledges. Yeah, so, the, we, we, we sort of so, set up as a pledge system so we could get an, get an idea of whether there was... Because we don't, we don't know whether we're crazy or not doing this thing. <laughs> and the way that we could work out whether we were sane was by putting it out there and saying to everyone, hey, do you think, do you think we're okay with this idea? And, and would, would enough you? people came up. Yeah. So you needed other crazy friends with money. I don't think it's crazy. (laughs) We needed sane. We needed sane people to validate that we were actually sane. So, can can you tell us a little bit about what, how you would make money out of a a block of land that is 
It sounds like the primary aim is to suck carbon out of the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. so it's not really a money-making venture. Okay. It's more a um, a, a world-saving venture. Oh, cool. um, so we don't make any money out of it. Any any money that we get, which we do get donations, um, we put into planting and pest control. So it all goes into making the land, uh, improving the land. I might give a bit of detail about the Permanent Forest Sink Initiative Scheme, though. Sure. Because uh, that might be what you're kind of referring to a bit, Henry, is the the um, first block of land we entered it into the, a government scheme which which was to encourage people to do exactly the opposite of the 1960s, 70s and 80s scheme, which was to take basically take marginal land and plant it out or let it just naturally regenerate. So um, we, we entered the, the 48 hectares, or just about all of it, because you could only enter what had not been forest in 1990, because that was the Kyoto mm-hmm. Protocol date. Everything that um, sequestered carbon after 1990 uh, could be counted as part of the government's, um, New Zealand government's contribution to solving climate change internationally. So, so what proportion of the land uh, in 1990 was... Native forest. It was it was all but one and a half hectares. So there's so there's one and a half hectares down in the bottom corner that was already existing native forest, and the rest of it was just farmland in 1990. Um, so by the time we bought it in 2008, the farmer had planted 13 hectares of pine forest in about 1993 1994. And he had pretty, not quite given up, but certainly given up on putting any real effort into farming. The rest of it, he had sheep on it, um, but it wasn't really worth his effort um, clearing gorse and keeping it as pasture. So so it was actually an ideal block of land to enter into the Permanent Forest Sink Initiative because of the age of the forest. And then what, what we were able to do then was to claim carbon credits, one carbon credit for every tonne of carbon dioxide sucked out of the atmosphere every year and at in our 48 hectare block that was up to 800 tonnes a year, up to 800 tonnes a year and that first block was being absorbed. Um, and and ooh, what does 800 tonnes mean roughly? Oh, 800 tonnes <laughs> equates to 800 carbon credits and a carbon credit is worth at the moment $17 but at the time this, the Permanent Forest Sink Initiative scheme was was um, was invented. Was to, it was done under the last Labor government, who were um, sort of semi-serious about trying to do something <laughs> about climate change. I won't say really serious, but semi-serious. And then after the change of government in two thousand and eight, the national government wasn't interested at all. They wanted to. They didn't want to appear to do nothing, but they wanted to get as close as possible to doing nothing as possible. So the price of um, carbon credits crashed has crashed under this government and uh, dropped down to you know just 2 or $3 a, a tonne and now it's climbing back up and it started climbing straight after the Paris mm-hmm. Agreement in, mm-hmm. in December 2015. So, but we, we personally have decided never to sell a carbon credit for less than $25 a tonne because actually selling carbon credits for less than that's ineffective. That's, mm. If you think about... Um, uh, let's take for an example um, people driving driving their car. <clears throat> if you drive a car, the average amount in New Zealand, an average size car, that's about 
14,000 kilometres a year, it equates to 3.5 tonnes of carbon dioxide emitted per, per year. And if the price is $2... So, sorry, you're 3.5 tonnes for driving for a year. Yep. Okay. Yep. Good to get that number straight. You got that one? Okay. Um, <laughs> Just and going back to that 800 in my head. Yep. So, so let's say the price of carbon is um, $25. Uh, then you'll end up paying around eighty or ninety dollars a year if you wanted to offset the amount of driving that you did the pollution from your the average New Zealand amount of pollution per annum. So eighty dollars is actually not a very strong economic symbol, signal, um, and anything less than twenty five dollars a ton is a is a useless economic signal. It won't it's like an insult, or a <laughs> yeah, well, it's just an It won't result in any change yeah. of behaviour, and the whole idea of um, Pricing carbon is to actually um, is to actually encourage a change in technology and and a change in behaviour so that people don't pollute as much. It seems to me like if people are facing a, a a price, if it costs a little bit more for them to buy petrol, then they might be they more might. inclined to bike to work or to catch the bus or ship can't share their car, buy a more petrol efficient car. Well, there are all sorts of options that people have for reducing their carbon footprint. And that's the most important thing to do at this point in time. And then after you've reduced it as much as you can, that, this is what me and Bronnie feel, is you then should look at offsetting it. So there's lots of ways of reducing your carbon footprint, but you're never going to get it down to zero. And offsetting the rest is actually pretty easy in New Zealand at the moment because the price of carbon is so, so cheap. It doesn't cost much to actually provide money to um, people who will retire farmland and use that land, that land use change, so that um, it will absorb carbon dioxide. Mm. And so if you're offsetting 800 tonnes a year... Well, we don't... I got that number? Yeah, you, <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're sequestering right. 800 tonnes a year... Yes, um, we, but we don't sell that number of carbon credits. No. So there's a couple of reasons for that. One is we're not willing to sell... For two or three dollars a ton, mm -hmm. twenty-five dollars is our rock bottom. And the other is that um, not many New Zealanders yet have enough awareness of, of climate change to actually be interested in offsetting their carbon footprint. Um, I'm sure that will change. It's got to change, otherwise future generations are pretty much done for. But um, at the moment, there's there's awareness of climate change amongst New Zealanders, but there isn't a real motivation to do much about it. Um, so the only the main person we've actually been selling carbon credits to has been Kevin Haig from the Green Party because the Green Party has uh, when he was the Green Party when he was in the Green Party yes they they the, the MPs there all have a um, I don't know whether it's a policy decision or what but they they are all uh, they all offset their carbon footprint and uh, they can choose how they offset their carbon footprint Kevin Haig was interested in cycling. And one part that we haven't come to talking about yet is um, we've been building Cycling. building tracks at Project Ramika. Okay, so let's get to that in a bit. <laughs> okay. So Kevin Hager thought thought Project Ramika was pretty cool, and it's a really good actually for people to offset their carbon emissions with a project that they know about. That's that's something that they they can actually have some some trust in, rather than some Ukrainian forest or something that might mm. just be a scam. Yeah, it's pretty hard to willingly give away sort of 80 bucks a year if you've no idea where it's going. Mm. I, can, I can totally appreciate that, even if you do sort of know it's a good thing to do. Yeah, That's yeah, cool. I, I think it's worth actually doing a little bit of um, little bit of looking around and figuring out 
and and that's not hard to do. You know, there's a there's a new offsetting scheme at the moment run by a business called Ecos, which is actually an environmental scientist called Dr. Sean Weaver. He's set up a uh, a scheme where he you can go to that website and you can see very very clearly where your offsetting dollars will go exactly which project they'll go to which is really cool you can feel you know that that can help you really feel quite good about your offsetting yeah um so you know hypothetical question if someone in this room were heading overseas um next month (laughs) (laughs) to visit their elderly grandmother in canada (laughs) um love miles we call them we, love yeah. miles. We, <laughs> do, we do understand that people can't always not travel by plane. There's, that's what the world's like now. That's why we, we recognise that no one can get their, climate, their carbon footprint down to zero. It's pretty much impossible. So, you know, we're, we're willing to deal with people. <laughs> deal with you, laser marine. I didn't. <laughs> I, the, the, look, the way that the way that you do it is pretty simple. You can go to carbonzero.co.nz. Oh, I think um, Henry's just got on the computer here. Um, carbonbalanced.org. I haven't heard of that one. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I actually really, yeah, I'm nervous of ones I haven't heard of because I've done a bit of research <laughs> into this. Yeah. But the, the Carbon Zero one was the was set up by um, <laughs> Landcare Research. And what is it? Um, it's a it's a um, organisation under the umbrella of the Lincoln University or, or Landcare Research, which was the world's first verifiable carbon offsetting scheme. Yeah. And what they did was they matched people who wanted to offset their carbon footprint with businesses that were able to do something that would suck atmosphere or reduce carbon carbon uh, pollution, and they were able to match those people, bring them together through this scheme called Carbon Carbon Zero, um, which makes it really easy because they also introduced a calculator, which is a very, mm. really, really good calculator. You can go to their tourism calculator, and they've got a household calculator as well. And you can just plug in, okay, I'm, I want to fly from Wellington to Auckland and then from Auckland to Canada, exactly the airport you want to go to in Canada mm-hmm. and return, and it will automatically calculate what the carbon footprint of, of that travel is. And yep. then so. you can even go to the bottom, click an offset button and hand over your credit card details and offset yep. and choose what way you want that offsetting to happen. This this website says that it's going to be from Auckland to Montreal and Canada. Let's just assume you're going to Montreal. Sure. Um, <laughs> that it's six tons, 6.0. That six tons. Right. Mm. So that's going to cost you $150 <laughs> if you buy it at $25 a ton. That's about right. Yep. Yeah, so a we'll just hand over your, your credit t- card at the end of the, the show. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that $125 would pay for, oh, how much pest control at the well, project? The, the, it's just Yeah, the interesting thing is that if you, go, if you pay $125 to Carbon Zero, it will pay for the carbon credits. That's all it does. Whereas, I don't know. I don't want to sound like we're looking for business because we're not. No, I want to know about your business. That's why (laughs) I'm asking you. (laughs) Okay, well, what we do is we take the the $25 a tonne, we we cancel the credits, and then we use the $25 um, to pay for things that will further enhance forest restoration, such as 
pest control, buying more trees, um, looking after the trees that have been planted. So we don't make any money at all from it because that's not what we're into. We're into trying to do something for the environment. Um, so, so that's how we, you get a sort of a double win um, if you offset your carbon credits through Project Rainmaker. Cool. Well, should we have a... Should we have a music break? Yes. Um, and then we can talk about the cycling. So, Roman, you suggested a song? Oh, yeah. I suggested a song called, uh, I think it's um, We Build a Wall by Ines Mitchell from her album Hades Town. And this is kind of a bit of a segue because it's actually, I have had this uh, album myself for a couple of years and I was listening to it the other week with Jonathan going, hey, this is uh, uh, quite pertinent to a certain American president who wants to build a wall at the moment. Um, so it just feels like a kind of right time to introduce this song to a lot of people. Okay. All right, let's go to play Yeah. 
want my children my children what do we have that they should want 